The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 14th chapter. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and they said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. He said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking up the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. The disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Alright, so we've been remembering um, the book of Matthew now for about three weeks. Three weeks we've been reading through Matthew chapter 13. Today we started uh, chapter 14. But something happened at the end of chapter 13 that we didn't read, we didn't review as a church. Um, At the end of chapter 13, after he's had this whole long teaching session about sowers and seeds and and being saved and and the judgment times and a variety of lessons, at the end of that, when he's done with that teaching time, um, some mixed success. A lot of it was good, but there were some challenges in there. At the end of that time, he goes to to the town of Nazareth. It's a special town to Jesus. That's his hometown. And when he goes to his hometown... He does the same things that he's been, he's been teaching, he's been healing. He strives to do those very same things, the very same work he was always about. He tries to restore the community, his home community. But it did not go well. They questioned his ability to teach or his authority to teach. They heard what he said. They thought it was true. They recognized the truth in it, whether it was uncomfortable or not. They knew it to be true, but they questioned his authority to say it. Then they degraded his presence. Their faithlessness was revealed, and all of that kept it from healing and restoring them. And they grumbled that he didn't do the things in his hometown they did everywhere else. Chapter 13 ends with these words He said, Jesus did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. That's the end of chapter 13. With that word, we move into chapter 14, which we started today. Now, if you notice, when we read chapter 14 today, we began with verse 13. If you notice, we didn't begin with verse 13. We we skipped verses 1 through 12, and we started on verse 13 today. Something very difficult for Jesus to live with happened and was communicated in those first 12 verses. But we didn't read them. Chapter 14 begins with these words. 
at that time. Like it interrupted his time here. And now at that time. And then it continues with the story of how King Herod, who had arrested John the Baptist, who had kept him in prison all these months, had killed John the Baptist. At that time, right after Nazareth, Jesus receives word about John's death. Now we need to remember, friends, that John was his cousin. John was a miracle child. There was an elderly couple, a faithful couple, a servant of the priesthood, and they had been shamed their whole life in that culture. If you didn't have children, it was a shaming thing, and they'd been shamed because they didn't have children. And now in their old age, God says, you're going to have a son. And he blesses them. He touches her womb. He touches their bodies. And they bring life together in the womb. And it was John the Baptist. And they also say that he's going to be the one that's going to precede Jesus, the Messiah. John, he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. When he was in the womb and Jesus and Mary came into the room and he's in Elizabeth's womb and Mary comes in the room, he leapt for joy in the presence of his Lord even in the womb. He was courageous. He was faithful. He told the truth boldly. With love he told them the truth. And he told it powerfully. And John was there on the day, and he was there to participate in this baptism moment when the heavens were tore open, and the Father was there, and the Son was there, and the Spirit was there, and the unity of God was one in that moment. John was there. He saw it. He participated in it. John called out the sins of everyone. From that day on, he called out for everyone to confess don't have to put up a screen for John or Jesus because they can see right through it. Don't have to put on the makeup and the clothes and all the facades that we put up. Just leave those home. Come here. Admit what's going wrong, how you're fouling it up, how, whatever the, all the sins that you bring. Just confess it. And then from this moment, wash and repent. Turn back to God. Be honest for a change, people. John would scream to be heard church to be honest he even said that to the king see the king herod he liked his brother's wife she must have been quite something to look at so he takes her he makes her his own wife and maybe there was something about herod that she wanted maybe some power maybe some money maybe he's an attractive man too whatever it was they violated a code and he took his brother's wife and she had a daughter um She didn't like what John was saying. She didn't like that he was calling out that their marriage was sinful. And so a night came, there was a party. And her daughter, which must have been exceptionally easy on the eyes, danced. Seduced Herod, everybody there. Herod said, I'll give you everything in my kingdom up to half of it. What do you want? Which is a violation. That's his stepdaughter. What do you want? She goes to mom. Mom, what do I ask for? I want John's head, she says. I'm going to silence that man. He's irritated me for the last time. John's killed. That's the context. At that time, that's the report that Jesus heard. John was killed. Head brought before a party on a platter. 
How disgusting that is. And Herod didn't have the courage to say, no, I'm not that. That's wrong. I'm not that. But no, he had to appease. He had his pride to live up to and his reputation to live up to. So he went along with something wrong and he did it. So the first words that we got today, verse 13, was this. When Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. That's how we started our gospel lesson today. When he heard these words, he withdrew by boat to a desolate place by himself. Could it be that Jesus is getting in the boat because he's done with people? Could it be that when he, he heard the story about how Herod had done this and the crowd around Herod had done this, and um, he says, I'm done with people. You go on and you just, you want to hurt people, you go hurt people. You want to slaughter people, you want to slaughter people. You want to cut off their head because they tell the truth. That's between you and each other. I'm done with this and I'm leaving you. Could it be that he can go and says, go on and, and crumble each other up with your words. See if you feel better at the end of the day. See how much more that improves your life by wrecking each other with your words. And if you want to step on somebody to get your advancement, you want to step on somebody so you can have the castle while they starve to death, you go ahead and just keep on doing that. I'm out of here. I'm going to my desolate place. I'm going where I don't have to see that anymore. I'm gone. Could it be you can say, grab all you want while you can. Just hoard it all up. Someday you'll figure out it doesn't go with you to the other side. It just doesn't even go with you to the grave. I'm done. I've been trying to teach you. I've been trying to do this stuff. You know the truth. You want to be a slave to your pride? You want to be a slave to your greed and your envy and your laziness or your anger? Fine, I'm out of here. You go on. I'm going to a desolate place. Could it be that Jesus has known about the, all, the, all the crowds that have been around him could he be that he knows their motives of why they've been following him? That it's self-serving and selfish? Could it be that they have scheming motives to nudge out this woman with a new child so that she can get her child in ahead of them because she wants her child healed? And she doesn't, it just, it's not about first and share. It was like, I'm going to press my way in. Or a dad with his son saying, my son is ill and I've, I'm stronger than this guy. So I'm going to push you out of the way and I'm going to get your, my, my son to Jesus first. Does he not know about that? Yes, he knows about that. He knows about all the motives. Those crowds are around him, not because they want to have a, a change of heart. They're not following him because they want to be humble and, and loving and serving and sacrificial like Jesus. No, Jesus has something that they want, and they're going to suck up and press their way up to the master so they can get something from him. That is the crowd. And it's very possible that Jesus has known that and seen that all along. And he says, I'm done. No more crowds. No more trying to sneak in and get in one on time, one time with me and try to edge me out and get my ear. I'm done. I'm leaving here and I'm going to my desolate place. That's between you and each other. You know the truth. You do whatever you want. Now he's in the boat and he's leaving. And he's on this boat and it, it, it's not such a big sea that you can't see across. And now he's in the boat and he's moving along. But the crowds heard the news about John too. And they know that Jesus is leaving too. So they start to follow. And Jesus sees them following. He sees, he sees older people with 
tired knees and backs, hobbling along, trying to make their way through the crowds. He sees the sick ones being carried by friends. He sees hungry people. Not just hungry because, not just hungry that they are 20 pounds heavy and they're hungry. No, he sees people that have been hungry so long that their faces show it and their hands and their bodies are weak. And he sees this crowd go along. And not just a crowd of about 100 people, 5,000 men, two to 3,000 women, 4,000 maybe, a couple thousand children. And they're moving along in this dusty, hot patch along the side of this lake as he's going along to his desolate place. And he knows everything about them. He knows how, how they were born in one condition, but he knows that they're stinking. He knows that they're dirt-covered, mud-covered, manure-covered lives. He knows everything about them. And he doesn't go to his deserted place. In our Bible lesson, it says he went back to them. He went to the shore. He saw the value in them. Yeah, he saw the dirt. He saw the filth. He saw the motives. He saw all the twistedness that we are as people. And still, he goes back to them. And when you read this Bible lesson again, I want you to notice that he doesn't talk. There's no teaching in this. There's no series of parables. That none of that is mentioned. What it says is that he just healed them. Them. Like all of them. So to someone who has a baby that is, it is, is feverish and maybe dying, he just touches the baby and is healed. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't teach about it. He doesn't use an example about submitting and trusting and being faithful. And He doesn't go there. He just heals the baby. If you bring someone who can't hear, he touches them and says, now you hear. If you bring someone that's been used up and they're wounded in their heart, somehow or another they're given peace. He goes one by one, whatever is through the crowd, and they're healed. He didn't stay on the boat. He enters right back into the middle of humanity, and he, he does what he does. He says, I love you. And it's not about what you bring. It's not about your motives that you can't even control. You're in bondage to sin, and I know that. It's not about what you've done and who you it, I love you. You are valuable to me, and you don't bring me anything. All you bring me is this, stinking stuff. And I see through this, and I see that you are more valuable to me than anything. And I'm there for you. At the end of the night, he feeds them. Yes, he knows that they are there at some point just for the food, because later on in the book it says, you're only following me now because you got your bellies fed. You didn't, you're not following me for the truth. You're not following me because you want to follow my example of the kingdom of God. You're just following me here because you got your needs met and you know where your, 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 your supplier is. He calls it out. It does not change his love for them one bit. He still loves. He knows the motives and he still loves. That's miraculous. Some think that the feeding of the 5,000 is miraculous. Oh, God can do, he, if he can make creation, that's not a big deal. Miraculous is that he knows our hearts, he knows our souls, he knows our motives. And he still loves and finds value in us. Yes, there's good. Yes, the Holy Spirit brings good. But I'm saying there's a whole lot of this, not so much. And he still loves right on through that.
So as a church, one of the things that we need to remember, not need to remember, it is a good thing to remember. Having been loved that much, having been loved as much as God loves us, having God see that we are valuable in spite of us, one, just say thank you. What a relief. That he loves you and you don't do anything for it. In this world, in order, for, in order for a pastor to be loved, he has to have good messages, he has to be a likable guy, hopefully he's got all these attributes that just makes everybody say, ooh and all, that's my pastor. It doesn't need to be that with Jesus. You could be the, the most incompetent preaching, teaching, person, buffoon in the world, and he still says, that one's mine. In this world, you want to be attractive to get attained. You, you want to be strong and smart, and you want to have all this stuff. Jesus, we don't need that with him. In spite of you, he loves you. In spite of you. You hear that? In spite of you, he loves you. Jesus loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's relieving. Because I'm going to mess up, and he's going to love me anyway. I can't do anything to make him stop loving me. And that good news, the world needs to see. They don't need to see from us judgment. When the world sees us, they should say, wow, my God loves me. I know who I am. I know my motives. It's not always that good. And he still loves me, and I'm going to tell you about that kind of a God so that you can have that kind of a joy and freedom too. We're not a place of perfection. We're a place where we confess, we're honest with it, and we just say he loves me anyway. And he has the capacity to clean me up. And that good news, that world needs to know. And if we don't tell it, they won't hear it. If we don't believe it to be true, they won't believe it to be true. So as you're leaving here today, I want you to absolutely know that you are loved and you are forgiven and you are cleaned up. And you have value in ways that you don't even know. To the eyes of our Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Pray to know that. And then pray that God will use you to tell that good news to the rest of the world. We'll come here to hear that good news every Sunday, not because we have to, because we want to. I want to be reminded that it's not about me, it's about His love for me. And you can't stop me from hearing that news because I'm begging for it and I'm celebrating it. So we can be that kind of a church. We will know that to be true and we'll let other people know it. God help us be this church. Amen.